right. So I don't have any slides this morning. I apologize for that. Um, but um, I'm going to cover my, my goal when I started off was I had chapters uh, 15 through 18. But I'm really just going to cover chapters 16, 17, and a tiny bit of 18. So that only really means something to you if you're reading along in the book. What, um, but that's, that's where I'm covering. So with that, chapter 16. And the title of the chapter 16 of the book that we're going through here is, all right, you ready? It's a bit of a sentence. Concerning the written word as a sure foundation for abiding consolation in relation to the present and future world or resting on the word of God. All right, that's how, that's a way to condense it, I think. A good way to condense it, I think. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. So here we see the Apostle Peter. What he's doing, he's quoting a passage from Isaiah. Um, the word of God here, this word of God and that endures, the word of the Lord that endures forever, understood by Isaiah is the very gospel of Jesus Christ, the, which is the was proclaimed to you as good news, the gospel of Christ, okay? That is the good news. The glory, we know this, of all flesh, what's it do? It, it withers away. It falls away. It falls off. You know, mankind, we know, is, is, is capable of many great things. Many great things. Things to be thankful for. Uh, the providence of God has seen to it for, for one reason or another. Always, we know, for the ultimate glory of his, of his glory, but for one reason or another, in terms of for mankind, he has sought to these things, that they would happen. You know, just think um, of what mankind developed in the prior century. Just that one small piece of time in the past century, you know, benefiting from these developments of mankind in the service to our Lord and King, that's a blessing. You know, we can use some of these things like the internet and um, as a means for the kingdom of God. You know, the advances in medicine for the using, being used for the kingdom of God. You know, all, just name it. I would say even Microsoft Excel in some way. So, did I mention that I'm an accountant? Okay. Um, we benefit from these things. We benefit from, but trusting in them, that, that is deceptive. Trusting in these things of mankind, that is, is deceptive. The ingenuity of the, uh, uh, that we have in mankind that we see, that reflects our creator. But in the hands of sinners, it can be a deceptive thing. And that's what we face with in this world. 
You know, it has seduced the world into thinking that it can work itself out of any problem. And if we were to analyze it, and frankly, the humanists would, secularists would just be honest with themselves, they would see that they come back to no solution at all. But mankind is left to think that they can solve any problem. You know, if mankind can, can uh, build great civilizations, if mankind can even clone sheep, then the world believes it, it has hope from below, not from above. Earthly, uh, unspiritual, not heavenly and divine. That's the deception that we are under here in this world. By the unmerited favor of God upon his church, we understand better. We know differently. This world and its allurements, they're passing away day by day. It is the word of God that is truly powerful. It is the word of God that endures forever. It has brought into existence the eternal reality into which we have been reborn, to which we have been born again. You know, so, you know, despite circumstances that cause suffering, we are, nevertheless, we are participating in the eternal plan of God as decreed in his word. So there's a comfort there that our good God has decreed these things. It is the word of Lord, of the Lord that endures forever. And on it must we rely alone, not on what mankind can do. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, in the chapter, in chapter um, 16, Thomas More, our, our, our author, he repeats. The blessing it is to have some special word of the Lord to which a a believer can always refer to. A special word of the Lord. Now what he means really um, is is having passages of scripture that are especially near and dear to you. You know, for whatever reason. You know, those passages of scripture that you often come to for strength, um, for deliverance of some sort, for wisdom. Of course, that would include that scripture that you discipline yourself to memorize, you know, the memorization of scripture. Um, It is also, you know, being greatly familiar with passages of scripture for the benefit, well, for the benefit of resting on its truth. You know, as, as Christians, we generally tend to do this. I have these special, this special word of the Lord for us. Now, it could be a passage that has helped in times of the way Moore puts it, soul struggling. I like that, soul struggling. Um, in times of, of fears, you know, those moments really when you need to rest your mind on the sure foundation of God's mercy in Christ. So, question. Does anyone 
have some special word of the Lord that has been near and dear to them that they would like to share. Let me, to get things warmed up here, you have one dear? You'll never leave us and forsake us. Yes. Yeah. It's something that you, you find and you, you're, yourself going to and reminding when you're dealing with whatever situation. Things that are out of our control often. Laura. I will wait for the Lord. Amen. That's often a command you're giving to yourself through the word again, right? I will wait for the Lord. Richard Gilson. Amen. He is our deliverer. He's the one who has the strength. Laura, uh, Nikki, did you have your hand up? be filled with the fruit of the Lord. So, you know, uh, yes, in the back. Being crucified in Christ. This is something that we've talked about um, a lot going through this, this series. And what that means, you know, the Christ crucified. You know, I, I got my own, right? Um, you know, who doesn't think of Romans 8, 38 and 39 sometimes when they're fearful? You know, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, we face these things in our life that our flesh and the world and the devil throws at us, to know that we cannot be separating. These are the, those special words of the Lord that the author's talking about. Um, when I sense foolishness, for example, either in myself or when I need wisdom because I sense foolishness around me. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, rather in your in evil. Um, let me rephrase that. I got it down here in the Legacy Standard Bible version here. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Rather, in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. I've been testing out the LSB just my pastime. Um, you know, those special words. I think most of us understand what the author is getting at. But sometimes we, we need to remind ourselves, though, that, that word of God and those, those passages, we need to find more. Find more. You know, I'm sure that many of you, if not all of you, would agree that there is great profit in putting this scripture on our hearts. You know, we're commanded to for one thing. You know, ha having it ready in our mind. You, you don't, we may not know it perfectly. And that's okay. You know, we can work on that. But those, that scripture that's on your mind. You know, it, it never is useless, never returns void, the word of God. So, 
That's the, the special word of the Lord he's, he's getting at here. And page 64, you know, I want to share an excerpt um, of what uh, the author's talking about, something that he shares here. Now, bear with me. It's a long quote. It's, it's most of a page in the book. So this is what he says. He says, if a believer, again, it's on page 64 if you have your books, if a believer has not fixed upon any word as a special word for himself, but has led, been led to look to Christ as his Savior, rather by the general teaching of the gospel, such a believer would still find it very helpful, prayerfully and thoughtfully, to fix upon some special word of the Lord, to build upon as a distinct and clear foundation. For there are times, he writes, for there are times when the most advanced and experienced believers become so enervated or, or scattered in their minds either by some special temptation or bodily infirmity that they cannot take a large general grasp of truth at one time. Your, your mind is so scattered at that time you really need to just have that special word. You can't deal with a large amount of scripture at that time is what he's arguing. Um, see here something that's in your mind something that's been much thought over something that you've mentioned in your prayer that special word it becomes as a key he says opening the mind anew to Christ or as a nail fixing it in its wanderings to him or as a channel full of the water of life or as the finger of God pointing directly and always to the sure refuge in Christ I think he advocates very well you know, having that special word of the Lord. You know, I would add to what Moore says in the, here that it's extremely important to also remain in context of the text surrounding any verse that you find comfort, comforting and helpful for the day's battles. Um, you don't want to find out later that you've been really totally misunderstanding a verse because you've taken it out of context. And that's important any time. Kids, kiddos, you know, as you read your Bible, uh, I encourage you to have a pen in your hand. Have a pen in your hand. One, you know, just if I could be practical for a moment, one doesn't smear, you know, when you rub it, that messes up everything on the page. It doesn't bleed through um, to where you can see it on the other side. Your, your parents can help you with this. But have a, have a pen in your hand um, or near you so that you can... Be ready to underline those passages in Scripture that you think are, are, are particularly special word for you. Okay? You know, it is um, the word of God. It's all good. It's all God-breathed. It's all profitable for faith and for living out your faith. But, you know, some, some passages seem to be particularly special to you and me as you're reading the Bible. And you're learning to read the Bible. You know, mark them in your Bible, uh, you know, if you dare. Some people just can't bring themselves to writing in their Bible. That's fine. You know, take notes somewhere else. But if you dare, write them, in, you know, in the, if you look in your Bibles at the front, they have those blank pages. You can write special passages that you can easily go to. 
use them in your prayers. You know, practice using them in your prayers. Again, even if you're not perfect at reciting them at first. You know, fall more and more and more in love with the Word of God. You know, by looking to it for strength, for a more closeness with your Father, with your Lord, you're going to find Him there. You know, for those of us who've been Christians for a good amount of time, um, more comments here. It says, whatever, whatever may have been the special word for you in the past, whatever had been useful in the past as a special word, it should be treasured up as one to be often used in the future. And let's face it, brothers and sisters, we, we tend to forget these things. And we need to be reminded of them from time to time. All right, beginning at the bottom of page 65, um, he gives a good caution, I think, a wise caution about how one uses the Word of God, how one uses Scripture. Uh, basically, um, he cautions us to not use Scripture in an unscrupulous way. Makes sense. Um, we must not let some measure, and this is what he really gets into, I think, not letting some measure of emotionalism uh, distort the truth of Scripture. You know, this can happen when one vacillates, you know, goes back and forth, back and forth in their affections toward God based on how good their Scripture reading is going. We're not always on the, on the mountain, the top of the mountain. And... We, we, we can't forget that we are a work in progress. We are not yet fully sanctified. You know, we're not yet glorified. So we should not expect to be effortless in our approach to Scripture. It's hard work at times. We're not alone. And the Spirit does his, his equipping. And I was talking to someone just a minute ago. You know, just... As you go, I was reminded, I think it was, again, Richard Mueller, a man known by prayer. He wouldn't start off with prayer. He would start off in the Word of God because he needed his own, you know, the, the fire in his heart kindled. And so like, you know, that, that saying, you pray until you're praying, you're reading until you're reading. So he cautions us there. Um, we got to forget that we're still we're still being sanctified. Um, we shouldn't be effort think it's effortless in our approach to scripture. You know what do students do? Students study. They study. We should be students of the word. You know we should humble ourselves as we come to it. We're studying the word of God. You know, no no closing of the eyes. You know opening the Bible to see where your finger lands. And then that's God's special word to us. I know none of you have never done that, right? You know, this, this kind of superstitious nonsense, it, what's it do? It degrades the word of God and to be something like a magic eight ball. You know, the word of God is not Urim and Thummim in our hands. You know, it is, it is spiritual and holy and it's to, believe, to be believed upon 
and followed, and it requires persistence, persistence in faith and prayer to understand as the Spirit graciously reveals it to us. But that, that's that treasure that we're called to go searching for. You know, more, he closes chapter 16, uh, stating that living upon what he calls sudden impressions of Scripture is very different from fixing upon one or more passages as a special word. That's often referred to as the foundation of truth on which we rely on for consolation. There is a difference. It's different in that the former is ready to believe the last word, no matter where it's from. That person who vacillates, that person who's like pliable in Pilgrim's Progress. Whatever the last word is, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's right. But the latter is one who is a seeker of God's will. Why? To be obeyed for God's glory and for his or her own good. Good word, I think, from chapter 16 in this book. Um, the next chapter, chapter 17, all right, another doozy of a title. Concerning the perfect safety of true believers and the impossibility of their finally falling away. Okay, that's not too hard. But I shortened it to just perseverance of the saints. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Another translation says, for salvation. First fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He, he comments, he says, it's impossible. It's impossible that True believers can finally fall away and perish. Amen. That is the perseverance of the saints. Why? Because of the relationship in which they stand to God the Father. Being totally reconciled to him. Our relationship to God as our Father. You know, what was our Heavenly Father's purpose concerning the elect from the beginning? What was his purpose? It was that they should be eternally saved. Again, for his glory. That we should be eternally saved. That was his purpose. Not kind of saved. Or hopefully saved. In the sense how we use the word hopefully these days. But eternally saved. You know, this, this is accomplished through our sanctification by the Spirit, as the passage says. And our belief in the truth of the gospel of Christ. These things he also gives to us. Now, the impossibility of finally falling away is founded in God's sovereignty. You know, his purposes, we know they cannot be thwarted. And his purposes to utterly save those who believe are for us to be, be sanctified, to be made more and more in the image of Christ preparing us for eternity. That's why we're being sanctified. We're being prepared for eternity. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. 
It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Again, this chapter is about that perfect safety we have in Christ. That, that impossibility of, of finally falling away. Christ calls us brothers. Here, the foundation of the founder of our salvation, as it says in the, in the, in the passage. The founder of our salvation. Uh, later, in that same letter, he's referred to as the source of our salvation. But not before he is acknowledged as the divine creator for whom and by whom all things exist. And he called us brothers. Now, the divine creator God the founder, I like the way the King James translates it, it's the captain of our salvation. The source of our salvation calls us brothers. Truly, there is neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth that can separate us from the love of God. Truly, there's nothing. You know, it is impossible that we truly, who truly believe with our hearts, will finally fall away. It's a good word for us this morning. He goes on to list some more truth given in Scripture um, that the believer can rely upon for consolation. When doubts about their standing before God creep into their mind, or just when you know, we need a helpful reminder. Because this happens. It happens to the most experienced and seasoned, if you will, of believers. God is testing our faith. First Peter 1, verse 5, he says, Believers, he's talking about believers, believers who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What's this saying? We are, we are not kept by our own capabilities, by our own power, but by God's power. Who wants to argue the, the effectiveness and completeness of God's power? Surely no believer would. So we can trust in it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe that, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. When our Lord and Master, when he comes back again, when he returns, the Father has determined to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. How is that not a great comfort for us? For those who are on death's doorstep. Or trusting in him. For those of us who have loved ones, friends who have gone before us 
and are you know, asleep in the Lord. Christ will not return without them. They will come with him. These are things decreed by the most powerful sovereign God. Ephesians, um, all right, another point he makes. I'm sorry, I skipped over something. And it's really good. He talks about us being the sheep of Christ. Um, so Christ is our chief shepherd. He is our shepherd. And um, one of the things he notes in here is it's, the glory of a shepherd is the safety and well-being of his sheep. You know, David talks about some of the amazing things that he did in defending the life of a sheep. It is the glory of a shepherd to care for the safety and well-being of that sheep. Every single one of them. What is it about the 99 where one has gone astray? It's that one that all heaven rejoices in their return. So, he is our chief shepherd. He'll keep us. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. With, when Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. What are these two passages speaking to? This one in Ephesians and Colossians. That we are one in the Son of God. God chose us in him. And our life is hidden with Christ. And we are eternally one with Christ. And we are Christ's glory. That's what this pa these passages are saying. We are Christ's glory. He has shared his glory with us. The glory that was given to him by the Father. And he will not part with his great joy that he found and finds in us. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 22, it says, when Christ is praying in the garden, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, these being the disciples, I do not ask on these on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. There is incalculable glory being one with Christ and the Father. And that is what God has decreed to be about us from the beginning before the foundations of the world. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells us. He is a quickening spirit. What does that mean? He has made us alive. 
He has made us alive spiritually. In this, in this, we are made much, much more than just partakers of the Holy Spirit. Much more than just partakers. Like those who have been moved by the gospel in some way, influenced by it, but never born again. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, it says, you know, regarding those who are just merely partakers. For in the case of those who have, for those once, having been enlightened and having tasted of the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit and having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. That is not the case with a true believer. We are more, much, much more than merely partakers of the Holy Spirit and the blessings that these temporary believers have enjoyed. That is not us at all. We will not fall away. You know, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal. We belong to God in a special way. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about how we must not grieve the Holy Spirit. That Spirit who has sealed us for the day of redemption. So we belong to him. And God's seal that is on us is God himself. There's great comfort for us to take in this and to be reminded of these things when life throws curveballs at us. Devastating things. The things that make you go, though he slay me, I will hope in him. He closes chapter 17 by saying, or actually this is in chapter 18, says the Holy Spirit never fails in his appointed time to quicken, to regenerate with new life all those whom Christ redeemed from the curse of the law by being made a curse for them, for those who believe. He will most definitely accomplish his own peculiar work in the covenant of grace and not leave any sinner to die unquickened for whom Jesus died. There is no falling away for us. Those lapses in our faith where we have pursued sin regrettably to the grief of the Spirit of God. He brings us back. He always brings his sheep back into the fold. Those who have wandered away, those who have been just mere partakers and fall away, they never come back. They, you know, a theological term is they have become apostate. That is not the case for us. So we can take comfort in that, that God will complete that in which he is, that work that he's.